We're almost finished with our foundational series, a couple more weeks, uh, and then we'll move on to some of the things I have. I think the Lord has planned for you, actually. <clears throat> we spoke about evangelism. We spoke about sharing our faith with the world, that that's part of what we're called to do. Rescued people, rescuing people, amen? Um, you know, I was so blessed by the people who shared up here this, this past uh, couple of weeks. I know uh, when the ladies were gone, I, I talked about the parable of the sower and the seed. But uh, we had, uh, you know, Gary Benefield, Keala sh shared the previous week. We had Lori Sweet and uh, Byron Melling. And God spoke through each of them. Uh, you know, just it's, a, it's cool how the Holy Spirit works through the body. And, uh, you know, I can sit here and, and, or stand here and tell you to go share your faith. You know, we all know we're supposed to share our faith, right? <laughs> you know, but it's, it's sometimes it's easier to have a dialogue and, and, and discuss some of the, the issues that we're going through. And so it was just really helpful. I, I think, you know, just Lori, there was already fruit. Lori had talked about, you know, she wrote a letter. How many of you decided that that's something that you need to do? You're not necessarily going to go confront someone, but you're going to write a letter. There was already fruit from that this week. I just think that's awesome. How many of you just said, you know, I think the Lord is talking to your heart and just saying, you know, I, I just need to be bold and, and fearless and not worry about what people are going to think of me. You know, not to be reckless. We're not called to be reckless. We're to be called uh, to be filled with God's spirit and to respond when he tells us to speak, right? And so these things are just so encouraging, um, you know, that whatever capacity God has given us, whatever group of people the Lord has placed in our path, we're to be salt and light and to share the gospel with them. Um, whether it be our kids, our coworkers, um, you know, I mean, depending on what you're doing. And obviously you got to work that with the Lord how that looks. But, uh, you know, I think what Gary shared was very important. Living it, but and then also speaking it. You know, that they kind of go hand in hand. And living it really gives you uh, the end to be able to say it and for it to stick. Amen? So uh, I think John chapter 2 or something or other, and I'll quote it here later, says that if we are Christ's, then we'll walk as Jesus walked. And so... Let's walk like Jesus walked, amen? You know? Let's all get some sandals. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> but you know what I'm talking about, right? In love. But one of the parables that I shared, and it was the first one, and it's in Matthew, uh, it actually is one of the first uh, uh, analogies Jesus gave about sharing the word of God, is sowing the seed, the seed of the word of God. And, and part of the issue there is Matthew chapter 13, verse 18 through 19, uh, there's a problem with the first set of ground. Uh, the, the first type of ground that you cast it on is that it never even gets in the heart that the enemy comes and takes away. It says, listen to what the parable of the sower means, Jesus said. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. From the early days of walking on the earth, Satan and his demons have been at war with God. And mainly uh, stealing the word of God out of people's hearts, contradicting what God says. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes when we get to the belt. But for review, Satan was a cherub. He was a, not a little baby with little, you know, fluffy wings. We've talked about this in Matthew, uh, actually we went through Mark, and you can go back. I think it's Mark chapter 8. 
and listen to that. It's in depth about angels and demons that are in their ranks and the principalities and, and all that type of stuff. You can go that. That's not the purpose of today. But our focus is spiritual warfare, and our enemy is Satan, one of our enemies. The other enemy is our stinking flesh. We'll talk about that another time. You know, don't blame Satan for everything. <laughs> you know, the guy's bad, but, uh, you know, we got some other people we got to work on here. Me. Um, but Satan was a chair. We fell. Ezekiel uh, 28:14-17 says, You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were of the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. And through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. And so I drove you in, in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. And so I threw you to the earth. I made you a spectacle, spectacle before kings. Satan corrupted in his heart, enthralled with himself, pride, selfishness, and doesn't that ensnare us all? And this is how the world we live in operates, is it not? It's all about outward appearance, isn't it? Who cares about character? It's truly about how you look. It's about if it's shiny or pretty, if it makes me wise, then I'll do it. And that's kind of what comes, and that's how uh, advertising appeals to us. That's how politicians appeal to us. That's how, um, you know, whatever you're trying to do appeals to people. Churches fall into this. They get carnal. They try to appeal to people because look how shiny and pretty we are. That's a, that's a dangerous snare. Now, are there places to where you can put paint on the walls and all that? Yes, okay. But the attraction should be the word of God and Jesus Christ and his spirit dwelling in people. Amen? And so Isaiah 14, 12 records Satan's self-deception. This enemy of ours, we kind of want to know him, says, how, how have you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. Uh, you said in your heart, I mean, these are the five I wills of Satan. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Now stars are angels, right? I will sit enthroned on the mountain on the mount of assembly on the uttermost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. So he att he's attempted to accomplish those things in the spiritual realm and is attempting to accomplish those things to work them out here on earth. This is what his kingdom looks like. His ascension, his rule, his kingdom. It's darkness. It's anti-Christ. It's against God. So Satan's mission is to thwart God's kingdom and to establish his own. That's, that's, his, that's his big plan. Part of our mission and our purpose as citizens of God's kingdom is to glorify our king by the lives we live as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, Right? We're on the other side, spreading the good news that there's room at the king's table for all who would come. That those who live outside of God's kingdom can leave the kingdom of darkness and join the kingdom of light. Amen? That's our message. There's a war going on. Light. Because Jesus Christ paid the price for man's sin, which keeps people apart, outside the kingdom. Can't come in. Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the price. Come and enjoy life.
and the glory of God. Come in, turn that life of sin and receive forgiveness. Receive eternal life. Come eat at the table of the king. It's yours. Our message. Inclusive. Not exclusive, but there's only one way in. The world doesn't like that. Satan doesn't like that. Jesus is going to come. He's going to judge Satan's kingdom, that opposite kingdom that we war against every single day. And if that's our message, the message of the kingdom of God that Jesus keeps talking about, then guess what? The other guy doesn't like that, does he? He doesn't like the fact that you are of that kingdom, that you reflect him, our father. doesn't like that you're the king's kid. As a matter of fact, he hates you. He hates your message. He hates your family. He hates what you stand for. He hates this church. He hates this gathering. He hates when you sing praise. He hates when you open your Bible. He hates when you speak to the, to the lost. He hates when you give up yourself for the things that God would have for you. He hates that. Despises it. His goal is to render us useless for our king. Satan's goal is to cause us to be poor ambassadors for Christ. Bad witnesses. And let me tell you, he plays dirty pool. He doesn't play by, you know, Geneva, you know, rules of war. He's an all-out animal. He'll use anything and everything. You have a weakness in your life, he'll exploit it. Something you enjoy, he'll you take that joy and twist it into something evil. Have a relationship that's having struggles, guess where he's going to hit? He's all out jugular. He's going to go for you. You know, the gloves are off. This is life and death. The stakes are eternal life and eternal death and punishment. God has rescued us from death so that we can have life here and now. Amen? But not the life that this world says is life. Now that's a big thing. Not the life that we see, but the life that he says. Two different things. This world is ruled by Satan. Jesus is going to come back. We went through Revelation. You guys all, you know, you survivors of Revelation. You know how it ends, right? We see the big picture. Jesus Christ is going to come back. He's going to take this world back. You know, his kingdom is, is demonstrated by Jesus, how he lived, a life that values others more than self, a life that lives for Jesus, a life that lives like Jesus. John 1, 2, 6, I just said it. First uh, John 2, 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. A life empowered by the Holy Spirit, fully engaged in the work of spreading the gospel, the good news in word and deed. And guess what? Satan hates this, and thus we are at war. Whether you... Are, are, are aware of it or not, we are at war. You don't get to choose. You just get to choose if you want to put on the armor or you want to continue to, let's see what the age group is, get your butt kicked, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and defeat it. Don't want to do that. So, how are we not only to survive this war, but to thrive? 
How many of you feel defeated? Oh, I feel defeated. You know, this morning, so I'm going to teach on spiritual warfare. Guess what happens? I'm defeated. Got a drummer in the mountains. Got a, I don't know what happened. You know, I mean, the whole thing fell apart. The music wouldn't print right. Look on the back half of your thing. Did you see that? Why are all the words cut off? Has that ever happened before? No. No? Yes, I know. <laughs> You're all, and holy with the Lord, and he, you know, it's like, how am I supposed to worship to this, Matt? Exactly. How are you to do that? You know what I'm saying? You could also blame it on, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure all the demonic forces live in the printer. Any pastors know this? That's kind of their hub. We had this one thing called the business hub, and I called it the Hillsy hub. It was bad, but yeah, it's pretty... But how are we supposed to survive this war? Ephesians 6.10. Ephesians 6.10. says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Write it down. This is something we're commanded to do. It isn't a suggestion. You know what I'm saying? Something we got to really highlight in our heads, make it important in our lives if we're going to have victory. He says, put on, well, he says, first of all, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The world is saying that you must be strong. Be strong. Get it within. Build it up. Strengthen yourself. You're good enough. You're smart enough. You know, all these types of things, right? Be all you can be. Not to say that you don't have value, you don't have strength, but not for this war. Amen? You don't have it. We don't have the equipment in ourselves to fight this battle. And so the first thing he says is what? Be strong in His, in the Lord and his mighty power. It isn't our power that can save us or protect us. It's his strength, his power. So first, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Second, put on the full armor of God, right? The Greek, uh, it's a command. It's to put on the full armor, not partial armor, running around your helmet. You know, you got the shoes of peace, but nothing else, you know, crazy people. No, put on the full armor of God, not of Matt. It's his armor. And he's given it to us to wear. We are to put his armor on. And what's really interesting is, is this is really putting on Christ. And we'll get into that later. That's the big picture. We put on Christ. But keep that in mind. Jesus is in all this. But put on the full armor of God. This is a command. Notice whose strength we are to be strong in. His. Whose mighty power? Whose armor? His. It's not ours, right? It's his. Why are we to put it on? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil has plans for you. As much as God, I can't say as much, but God has plans for you, for peace, for future, for a hope, purpose, meaning life on this earth, as much as God wants that. The enemy wants to destroy you. He has a plan for you to destroy you. He sees you. He knows you. You're a target. 
very fact that you're in this room this morning, attempting to, you know, connect with the Lord somehow as we gather together and worship him with brothers and sisters, right? As we gather together to open his word. You know, it's not a, you know, it's not a coincidence that attendance is like it is today. It's not a coincidence that, uh, you know, Mosetta and Rick are sick this morning. It's not a coincidence that, you know, someone's in the mountains and all this stuff happens. It's not a coincidence. You know, I don't want to blame everything, but I'm just saying that the enemy's at work. He wants to disrupt our lives. How many of you had a great conversation on the way over? Yeah. Husband and wives? Anybody had a great conversation? You know what I mean by great, right? Everything's good, right? No husbands here this morning. That's why. <laughs> They're all hunting, right? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, if not on the way over, have fun on the way home. No, the devil has plans for you. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor. Notice he didn't say go buy a bunch of guns. Didn't he say go get Cavalar, go stock up on water, and go get ready to be in the hills. He said put, be strong in his armor. Right? Why didn't he say to do all that other stuff? Because verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That stuff isn't going to work in our war. We are often so fixated on what we see that we're blind to what's really going on. We don't struggle against our political leaders, our economical situations. Those are the symptoms of the unseen war. I don't think, I think as you look at the world and what we read about uh, Satan and his control and his influence and his sway on nations, and the battle that's going on as we read that through Daniel and other things like that, where we see the Prince of Persia and all this other type of stuff that we can read. And there is a war for our nation going on. And, there, and believe me, it doesn't involve Democrats and Republicans. It involves light and darkness. It involves deceiving our nation, pulling us into sin, pulling us away from God, no matter what you are. And sure, they'll use affiliation to divide us up. But I'm saying that there is a darkness spreading over us. There is a, a, a time of just incredible suffering coming as a result of, I think, of us just, of the war, of losing, of the light being diminished. May God wake us up again as the church so that we can shine and hopefully pull people out and give them the armor they need to survive. Amen? I mean, that's the war that's going on. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. What do we wrestle against? We wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. You are in a spiritual battle. You are in a spiritual battle. Notice it didn't say that you might wrestle. It says that we wrestle. It's happening whether we're aware of it or not. And the Lord wants to wake us up to the battle. 
He wants to open our eyes and see past the decoys of politics and economics to the source of the struggle, the rulers against the, the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the, the spiritual forces of, of evil and heavenly realms that are influencing things that are going on. He wants to open our eyes to these things so that we aren't constantly swatting after symptoms, that we're tearing down strongholds, that we're kicking the enemy in the teeth, pushing him back, taking ground. Amen? Flip over to 2 Kings, will you? 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to read through this real quickly. Just an illustration. Raise your hand when you're there. Second Kings. All right. Top half of the class. Guys, good job, everybody. Now the rest of us who... I have to pre-print mine because we'd be here all day if I were turned into it. <laughs> Anybody still need a little more time? Uh, Second Kings chapter 6. Starting in verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel, and after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, this is Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel. Beware of passing that place, because the, uh, the Arameans going down, uh, are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king, and so he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded, to, demanded them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. We've got a mole. We've got a spy. There's no way that they could know time and time and time again where we're going. None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So there was a tap going on there. God, I'm mean, sorry, go find out uh, where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the morning, an army with the horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Um, reality check, no, they aren't. That's what we see. 17, and Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I relate with the Elisha's servant. I really do. God, you know, open my eyes to the reality of what's truly going on. Protect me and let me have victory. Let me know that he who is in me is greater than that which is in the world. Let him know that there are, you know, let us know that there are spiritual forces at our disposal. Angels dispatched more, apparently more of, more of our guys than their guys. That God wants to use. And if you go on and you read the rest of it, compare the blindness that he gives 
that the spiritual blindness that uh, that the servant Elijah had with the blindness that was given to the um, to the Syrian army. He later blinded him, and then he took it away. And did they kill him? No, they brought him out. They're blind. We're, we're fighting in a war where the enemy is blind as well. But God wants to heal them and feed them and take care of them and bring them out of the darkness. But we're in this war. Therefore, put on the full armor so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and that you have done everything to stand. There's a spiritual battle, right? Put on the full armor, all of it. And now Paul, he's, he's writing while chained to a Roman guard. So he's obviously looking at this Roman guard. and He's going to uh, relate some spiritual truths to you know some physical armor so we kind of get an idea. Imagine being chained to Paul for a shift. <laughs> Man, talked about captive audience, right? I mean, it's who's the captive there? You go, and now Paul's going to talk about it. In verse 14, stand firm them with a belt of truth. And he's going to lay out six pieces of armor. Six pieces of armor. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. The Roman soldier's belt was six to eight inches wide and the other piece of armor you know, hung and were attached to them. It had to be secure. It was foundational. And Paul relays this to truth. Truth is our foundation. What is truth? Pilate said that, remember? But what is truth? We live in a society, in a culture, the truth is whatever you and your little group want it to be. Right? That is truth. Your truth is not necessarily my truth because I have a different experience in a different culture which I come from. And so if that's true in my culture, I can kill you um, because that's kind of what we do. It's okay. No, no, that can't be. Oh, yeah, it is. It's all right. I'm taking this to an extreme, right? Relativism is what we're dealing with. Our nation has given up an overarching truth for our society and therefore there is nothing to base truth upon anymore. When that happens, it doesn't make a difference what you wrote your constitution about. It doesn't make a difference what your founding documents are. It doesn't make a difference because there's no accountability. There's no truth. This is not truth. The constitution is not really saying what it's saying. You know, I'm just saying, I'm just explaining the, the collapses. We, we are in a society void of truth. And so truth is foundational for us as followers of Christ in this world, in this battle. And the truth that we have is going to be offensive to some, to most, I would say. What is truth? Truth is what God says about anything. It's what he says. So if you want to know about what God thinks about marriage... That is truth. If you want to know what God thinks about paying your taxes, that is truth. If you want to know what God thinks about people and lives and what is death, what is life, what is the meaning of life, all these things, that is truth. We are to know truth. We're not only to know it, we're to put it on. We're to have it. If there's an area where we don't have, have an understanding in something, let's seek after it and ask God for that truth. Amen? There are fundamental truths in the scripture that are true for all nations, for all time, for all societies. We're to know these things. We're to put them on. And that way, when, when untruth, when we're, we're confronting untruth, we know, hey, this is not right. This is incorrect. This is a false worldview. 
This is deception. This is not of the Lord. We're to be the people of the scriptures. And so I would say, put on Jesus. Put on the word. Strap it around you because guess what? There's a whole kingdom of darkness trying to redefine what truth is to you. There's a kingdom that started in Genesis chapter, I wouldn't say started, but we see interacting with us in Genesis chapter 3 that says, did God really say, Eve, did God really say don't touch that tree? And it's still going on today. Did God really say? Put on truth, the belt, amen? with the breastplate of righteousness in its place, right? We're to gird ourselves with truth around our waist, with a breastplate of righteousness around our chest. Now, obviously the breastplate, it protects us from vital organs, or protects our vital organs, doesn't it? I mean, you don't see police officers running around, you know, without their Kevlar on. They want to make sure that there is an opportunity of surviving a, a conflict, that they're taking care of. They put on their cavalry. We put on our cavalry every single day. Put on our put on our shield. Our, uh, I mean, on our our breastplate of righteousness. What is that? What is the what is our one stewardship? That, that our most important stewardship. As say guys, you know, guys would think you know it's well it's to do well in my job. You know, and then wives will nudge you. No way, it's family, right? There you go, family. Okay, family is the most important stewardship. But I'd say even above that. It's to guard our hearts. It's to guard our hearts. Because Jesus talks about our hearts in Matthew 15, quoting, says, you know, Jesus is, is in, in Matthew 15, 16, he's quoting from how to win friends and influence people, and he says to his disciples, are you still so dull? Jesus asked them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then comes out the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murders, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. It's talking about these out of our hearts come all these wicked things. We're to protect our hearts. We're to, to, to put other things in our hearts. What are we putting in our hearts? What are we allowing in the windows of our, our soul? What are we listening to day after day? What is influencing our actions? I tell you, you know, I get caught up in talk radio. Boy, and it's not before long before I start slandering. God, that is wrong. God help me. You know? We don't justify talking evil of other people. We cannot do that. We're children of the light. Amen? Pray for those in authority over you, Romans 13. No matter how frustrated you are. Yeah, we can call, you know, call things what they are, right? But man, what's the heart behind it? We gotta pray. That's later, but anyways, this, this idea of guarding our hearts, and I think one of the great verses, Psalm 119.11, says, How can a young person, I would say any person, stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart, and do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Hide his word in your heart. 
so that you won't let those things develop in your lives? If you're struggling with a certain area, put those verses in your heart. Let it render you dead. Let it mortify the deeds of the flesh. We have weapons to defeat these things. Let's, let's, let's be people who do it. So delight in his word, Romans 6, 13, 17. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you do obey its lusts and desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death uh, brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer master you, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Guard our hearts. Crucify the flesh, right? Amen? And with your feet, verse 15, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Kind of weird. But what does this mean? Knowing the gospel makes us ready to move, to leap into action. He used the illustration of shoes on, on, on feet. Why? We stand on our feet. They're foundational. We move with them. We must be ready to move for the gospel, to stand for the gospel. When we truly understand what the gospel is about, it motivates us to do something about it. So be prepared with the gospel. Know it. Let it fill your heart and your mind. It's going gonna, it's gonna to motivate your actions to, to do what Christ did. When we truly understand it, when we truly understand we've been rescued to rescue, then we're going to go, as Jesus said, to go. Whatever capacity God's given you, right? It's the message we receive and it's the message we give. Know the message. Be prepared to share it. You know, prepare. Verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And how many flaming arrows are there? My goodness. Are we getting, like, barraged? like the sky is lit up all coming down on us the roman shield was you know i think four and a half feet tall two feet wide and they take it and get behind it and protect their body when those things would come in and it and, and what they would do is after the battle they go to the barracks they pull out all the arrows and they plug the holes because the integrity of that shield is very important any of you have holes in your faith Any of you have things that you're struggling with with the Lord? I think we all do, right? Amen? It's time to get those resolved. It's time to seek them out. It's time to go after the Lord. He'll give you the answers. Things you're struggling with, things you don't know. Not that we're going to know everything, but if you're really struggling, am I really saved? You know, are these things that are, he's going to hit us in our weakness. Faith is the opposite of fear. Are you fearful? Are you a fearful person? God wants you to be strong in his power. So work, uh, allow his, uh, the faith to, and, and read through Romans 12. Uh, I mean, sorry, Romans 12. Uh, excuse me, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, and watch what these people have gone through in spite of the obstacles that were around them. They had their eyes on the prize, the city in heaven. Not a city built with man's hands. Are we living for it? So, uh, you know, take up that shield of faith. We're almost there. Take up the helmet of salvation, verse 17. The helmet of salvation, dealing with the war of our minds. One of the ways the enemy will attack you is to make you think that you have sinned too much to be forgiven, and that you're no longer his. Anybody struggle with that? It's a lie. Romans 8. Can anything separate us from the love of God? 
And it goes on crazy. Can principalities, can all these things ever eat from God? No, they can't. Second Timothy 1.12, Paul is speaking. This is why I'm suffering as I am. He obviously, he's in chains, but he says, yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. We committed our lives to Jesus Christ and he is able to hold it until that day. The high priestly prayer, uh, you know, maybe that turns you off, but uh, John uh, 17, 17, right? Uh, or I think it's John 17. I think he's just, he's, he won't lose one of you. I, you've given me all that I hold in my hand and I'm not going to lose one. You are in his hand. He's got you. You're safe. Amen? If you're sinning habitually and continually, of course you're going to begin to doubt your salvation. You're going to have a mind game going on. What do you think the Lord would say? Son, daughter, come to me. Give it up. Let, let, me, let me come clean you up. Let me fix your head. <laughs> you know? That's the way we're built. When we sin, when we live in this, this life contrary to what we're supposed to do, we become shameful. We hide. We start to blame other people. We go down this road that our lives become miserable. And it's supposed to be so miserable that we go back to God. That's his mechanism. Any of you miserable? Run to Jesus. Go back to your Father who loves you. Put on the helmet of salvation. Know what the gospel says. You have been saved. If God gives you eternal life and takes it away, is that eternal life? Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's some other things. But he, you're his. But that's not licensed to sin. We, we read about that in, in Romans. So, um, But... And the sword of the Spirit, right? This is the last part of the armor. And this is our offensive weapon. The Roman sword was a short sword. It wasn't a long sword. Most of them were, were one-sided long swords, and that was the big thing to use. But the Romans had the short sword, and it was double-sided. It was like unconventional. But they conquered the known world with that thing. And they needed two things. They needed training to know how to use it, and they needed practice. Because, you know, they were trained, like, you, you miss on the first offense, you can come back and back and smack them the other way. You know, and, and it was also a defensive weapon as well. The sword, the word of God. It is incredibly important that we know that this is our weapon against the enemy. When the enemy comes with you with lies, like Jesus, three times being tempted. No, because it is written. No, because it is written. No, because it is written. When you are tempted, no. Because it is written, that's not who I am. That's not where I'm going. And you fight it with the word of God instead of giving in. Try it someday. It works. The word of God is very sharp. 4.12, Hebrews. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the hearts. It's the book that reads and cuts. The word of God, the very word of God. Get it into your life. Use it. Arm yourself with it every single day. Let it cut you open and let it be used to defend your soul and to cut others open. Amen? So the word of the Spirit, uh, the sword of the Spirit is at your disposal. Dust it off. Take it out. Get some training and practice. Amen? God's given us full armor. We've got to put it on. And the Greek word put on means to continually put it on. It's not a one-time deal. It's an everyday thing.
continually. Be putting it on. And now the last part, part of this, this section, which we're not going to do right now, but it is part of it. Because no list in the Bible can be six. It has to be what? Seven. Amen? The last aspect is not armor, but it's artillery, air support. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Prayer. And that's going to be our subject next week. We're going to talk about prayer. And we are a, a church that prays, and I love that. You know, we gather together the first Sunday, we set it apart, but you guys are praying for each other every week. You guys are lifting up things that are hurting. God is doing great things. And I want him to increase that in our lives. You know, just to have some serious victory this year. Amen? So know that the Lord loves you. Know that he's given you his power, his strength, his might for the battle that you do not see but is going on right now. So next time you feel severely agitated for no reason, next time, you know, all these things start happening to you, take a step back and go, hey, armor check. You know, am I, am I locked and loaded? Are we ready to go? Or am I running around with just a shield? You know, ha. Huh? Let's not do that. Let's be warriors for Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we, we lift up this, this flock, this, this body, Lord, this part of your kingdom. And we ask, Lord, that you uh, equip us to do the work of the ministry that you've called us to. That you continue to help us realize all the, as, as king's kids, all the things that are at our disposal. Father, help us to put on Christ and to put off the flesh. Help us to put on Jesus. Be gracious to us, Father. Be kind to us and hear our cries. Where we're ignorant of the war, Lord, we ask that you would, like this servant, open our eyes and help us to have faith in you, not in ourselves. In the name of Jesus, amen.